0: Amen. he didn't want heaven without us can, can you imagine what it's going to be like when um, in a new heaven and a new earth when, we ha- when we're surrounded by angels and there's people from every tribe nation hundreds of thousands hundreds of thousands with a lamb in the middle and we will all get to worship God and Christ in what a What a joy that will be. Amen. So I want to thank the, the young people, the music team, um, the Martins, the Petersons, Anna Belts, <laughs> for those who are young and those who are young at heart, like myself, young at heart. Uh, for those of you who were not here last week, my name is Mark Bollett. I am one of the uh, lay leaders here. And um, what I'd like to do today is go into part two of what we started last week. Who was here last week? You came back! (laughs) So did I! (laughs) You know, um, the one thing I've realized is when you're up here, it gets hot quickly. And um, all I can say is, I think when Pastor Walt is up here, and he, and he has a tie on, and he has a jacket on, and he keeps it on, we are in trouble. <laughs> I say, head for the exit. So I am going to say, take my jacket off. Amen. So what I want to start with is um, actually do a quick... Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Quick recap of last week to sort of set the scene for this week. Oh, I can see it this time. Thank you, Ernie. <laughs> last week, the lights were so bright, I could not see the slide back there. <laughs> so let us, um, let us start with, with what we covered last week. And I'm sorry, that's maybe a little bit small. But uh, last week, we really spent the whole time Looking at, looking at the first few verses of Ezekiel 1. And what we saw was we met an ordinary man called Ezekiel. He was not yet a prophet, he had not been called, and he really was no longer a priest. Uh, he, he, he had gone into exile. We saw that Ezekiel uh, was basically living in Judah, and then uh, he had been taken, forced into exile. By the Babylonians If you look at the dates there The first date, the first deportation Now that's where Daniel was included on that one That was in 605 BC And don't forget we're going down in dates BC or BCE before Common Era That's the new politically correct definition Uh, But BC, so we're going down, down the dates And we also see that in Then in 597, we have the second deportation when basically Ezekiel was taken with uh, King Jehoiakim to Babylon. We talked about last week that if you drew a line from Judah to Babylon, it's around about 550 miles. But of course, they cannot go straight because of the desert there. They had to go north and then southeast. And that journey takes around about four to five months. How do we know that? If you look in Ezra, uh, Ezra talks about his journey back. He was one of the exiles who eventually came back. He was allowed to come back. And you actually see in there, it's, it's between a four to five month journey. So we can assume it was roughly that amount of time going out as well. So the the, the, the question we came to last week, or um, the the topic we really spent most of our time in was It's so easy to miss that Ezekiel, for five years, was in exile, an ordinary man. He hadn't been called yet by the Lord. He wasn't a prophet at that point. And we had a very good discussion in the Second Look class, and I think someone asked, I think it was Stan, uh, Stan Adams, who asked, what was Ezekiel doing during those five years? And I think that's a really good question. And... As a quick aside, before we go into this week's topic, um, if you actually go to Jeremiah, now remember Jeremiah is a peer or contemporary of Ezekiel. Essentially, the Lord raised up Jeremiah in Judah. So he was preaching the same message to Judah, that essentially um, destruction was coming unless they turned from their ways. So you had Jeremiah in Judah, and you had Ezekiel over in Babylon who was preaching at the same time uh, the message as well, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But then we read these words in Jeremiah, and just before I read it, Jeremiah is responding here to the religious leaders and the secular leaders of the day, both in Babylon and in Judah. Basically, they were worse than blind guides. They were telling the people, Peace, peace. And there was no peace. The leaders um, over in Babylon were telling the people, don't worry about this exile, it's going to be over soon, God is going to rescue us. But that was not the message. And Jeremiah had a very difficult ministry where essentially he had to, from the Lord, go against what the leaders, the religious leaders and the secular leaders were saying of the day and give the word of the Lord. So we we read these messages. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim, That's a, a different spelling variation of his name. And the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem the craftsmen and the metalworkers had departed from jerusalem come to the next and this is jeremiah 29:5-7 build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce take wives and have sons and daughters take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters multiply there and do not decrease And here's a very interesting phrase. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. So we can basically date this letter to some time after when King Jehoiakim was taken into exile into Babylon, and that's when Ezekiel went with him. So that's sometime after 597. Um, I I think that this letter probably came during that five-year period before Ezekiel was called to be a prophet. So what was Ezekiel doing during that five years? I think he was building a house, planting crops, making a life for himself in a new country. He'd been exiled there, He had a a young wife, so when he was exiled, the thinking is he was around 25 years old. Um, We think when he was called, he was around 30 years old. So between 25 and 30, and I think we can assume he had had his wife at that point, he was trying to make a life for himself in a new country. But But note here, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. The Lord is basically telling the exiles to pray for their enemies. That's essentially what he's asking them to do. Pray for your enemies. Pray for that very difficult situation. You know, when we are in a difficult situation... Either that can be in a relationship. It can be in a job situation. Whatever that very difficult situation is, I think this is a very, very good piece of advice. Seek the welfare of that situation. Pray for that situation. It's really the exact opposite of what worldly advice would tell you. Worldly advice would say, say, look after yourself whatever the consequences. The Lord says, seek the welfare of others. Don't worry, I will take care of you. The the other thing we note um, is that if you look at that letter from Jeremiah, and I just note this as an aside quickly, it does talk about some organization among the exiles. There were elders, there were priests, there were prophets. So clearly the exiles who had been taken into Babylon were organizing themselves as well. So So with that said, that was an aside from last week, and after the Sabbath school discussion, it got me thinking, and I wanted to look into that. So Uh, what I'd like to do is, so that sort of sets the scene for part two. And part two is all about uh, where deeds meet faith. Uh, Norma and I have a, Uh, I'll call them an elderly couple. I feel like I'm getting elderly these days. Uh, But we've we've got uh, an elderly couple. They're either in Loomis or Lincoln, uh, Bob and Joanne. And um, we've got to know them. Bob, I call him Bob the Builder. Whenever I want any work done around my house, I trust this guy. He's someone I always go to, uh, even to the point that I don't get quotes from him, and that's, Sometimes come back to bite me, <laughs> but um, but he's he's an interesting character. He's to me he's like a pioneer. He's that pioneer, independent character has a has a long, has a beard and everything. Um, and he likes to have fun sometimes with me. He he knows we go to church. Um, I don't think they go to church, but certainly they they talk about some religious things but there was one time uh, he came to our house this isn't working Ernie I don't know if I'm doing something thanks uh, there's one time he came to our house and he walks in with this early in the morning because you know over here you've got to start your if you if you're going to do building work you have to start early over here If if you're going to do yard work, you've got to start early over here. But he walks in with this big grin on his face. And and he said, So, okay, But And I knew there was something coming from Bob when he's like this. So, he said, What does John 3.16 say? And I thought, okay. I know know Bob is going somewhere here. (laughs) He's just knowing Bob. And he said, said, okay, Bob, you know, I think I know what it says, but what does it say? It says God bless America. <laughs> He'd been looking at this sign, and he had noticed the sign there, and if you can see, it says God bless America, and then right at the bottom, there's John 3.16. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think he might know what John 3.16, you know it doesn't say God bless America, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> No, it doesn't. honestly. it doesn't. <laughs> I know I'm in America. <laughs> it says the world, okay? <laughs> um, you know, words, words are important. Words are very important. But what is even more important are our deeds, and that's what I'd like to talk about today. Um, is basically where where our deeds meet faith, and I thought I'd start with a definition of that. And the way that that I've defined it is reckless abandonment to the Lord and his will in our lives. And I struggled with that word reckless because God is a God of order. But here's the thing. Is it reckless if it's the will of the Lord? It might seem reckless to us, but is it really reckless? I'd like to read, um, to sort of set the scene further for this, because what I'd like to do is take two examples in Ezekiel's life where his deeds met faith in what I would call reckless abandonment to the Lord. So to set that up, um, our main reading today is from Ezekiel 3, 15 to 17. And I came to the exiles at Telab, who were dwelling by the Kebar Canal and sat where they were dwelling. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Uh, the I here, of course, is Ezekiel. And the, the timing of this is Ezekiel has basically had his first vision from the Lord and his calling from the Lord. And he is so overwhelmed after that vision and after that calling that he essentially goes amongst the exiles And he sits down for seven days. What I'd like to do now is think about that in terms of what it means for Ezekiel's life to be a watchman for Israel. And when we talk about Israel there, that's in the sense of the whole of Israel. So the northern tribes and the southern tribes. So that includes Judah. Of course, at this time, the northern tribes, Israel... They were already in exile. Assyria had come in and taken care of that. And what we have going on here is we have Judah um, still, uh, still there, but heading towards exile because of what was going on in Judah at that time. So I'd like to cover two events in Ezekiel's life that demonstrate what it means to be a watchman for him and also talk about um, where deeds meet faith. So the first, the first event that Ezekiel had was the Lord asked him basically to put on a drama, to put on a play. Um, and the, the setting of this is probably around about five years before this event happens. It's around about five years before the event happens. So we read, But you, son of man... Take a brick and lay it before you, and engrave on it even Jerusalem, and put siege works against it, and build a siege wall against it, and cast up a mound against it. Set camps also against it, and plant battering rams against it all around. And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city, And set your face towards it and let it be in a state of siege and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. So to be clear, this is the Lord asking Ezekiel to really do um, his first mission after his calling. And what this mission is going to be, it's going to last nearly 430 days. He's, he's essentially asked to put on a drama for 430 days. Earlier this year, um, Norma and I were in, were in London. We were traveling over there to see family, and we had the opportunity to go and see Les, Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera. Um, I think it's fair to say my favorite is Phantom of the Opera, my wife's favourite is Les Mis. Is that fair? Okay, good. I'm not in a doghouse. <laughs> um, drama is powerful. Uh, we had been to see, we'd been to see Phantom probably five, six years before that, and, and they'd, they'd redone the set, and it was just a wonderful experience. We'd never seen Les Mis in London, and they have this revolving stage. Which was just superb. So when they do those scenes, you know, when mar- they could just march in place <laughs> because of the, the revolving stage. We came back, and then Pine Hills was putting on Les Mis. And that was wonderful. We had a wonderful time with that. I, the preparation that must have gone on is unbelievable. But drama is very powerful. My wife is a drama teacher, an English and drama teacher. Uh, she actually, this last year, put on a play um, at a, a, a local high school, Charlie Brown, for Charlie Brown. The amount of work involved in setting this drama up, uh, the hours involved, it was unbelievable. And I, I went along to one of the nights, and it was, it was superb. It was a, a great experience for everyone involved. Um, the power of drama... And what we see here is we see the Lord basically telling Ezekiel, this is the first thing I want you to do. I've just called you to be my prophet. Now what I want you to do is go and build this drama set for me, which is basically the drama set of the siege of Jerusalem. And by the way, he's doing this in Babylon, 550 miles away. So, to, you know, that, that's an interesting thing. Uh, but to, to, to build this drama set, and I want you to go and act out what is going to happen against Jerusalem. And by the way, Ezekiel, I want, what I want you to do is I want you to lie on your left side for 390 days. You ever asked me asked to do that? And then I want you to lie on your right side Another 40 days. So that's a total of 430 days. By the way, this is why I think Ezekiel was a young person when he was called, because I, he, was, he was probably around 30 at this time. Because if you'd asked somebody in their 50s to do this, good luck, that's all I can say. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to spend time on, on too much of the symbolism here, uh, when he was when he was basically on his left side, the thinking is with the longer period symbolises the destruction of, of the northern tribes with Assyria, and then when he's on his other side, the shorter period uh, symbolises the destruction of Judah. And there's a if you want your homework, go go and look at it. It's great stuff, great stuff to look at. And there are there's various interpretations of it as well, but. But this is, this is what I would like to say about that. Um, there are times when we can find it difficult to understand what the Lord is asking us to do or what we're going through in our lives. Uh, but what, one author writes this. God gives us the vision. Then he takes us down to the valley to batter us into the shape of the vision. And it is in the valley that so many of us faint and give way. Every vision will be made real if we have patience. Think of the enormous leisure of God. He is never in a hurry. 430 days, Ezekiel was asked to put on this drama, this play. Think of the enormous Leisure of God. He is never in a hurry. So why did Ezekiel, why did the Lord ask Ezekiel to do this for such a long time? I think there are there are maybe three three things that we can bring out. Number one, I think this was about character formation of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was going to have a long and hard journey ahead of him we're going to come on to the death of his wife soon as the second major event in his life his calling was not going to be an easy calling some people write the golden rule for understanding spiritually is not intellect it's obedience read that again the golden rule for understanding spiritually is not intellect it's obedience God's end is to enable me to see that he can walk on the chaos of my life just now. If we have a further end in view, we do not pay sufficient attention to the immediate present. But if we realize that obedience is the end, then each moment as it comes is precious. In the Lord's dealing with us, the end goal is not necessarily the most important thing. It's the here and now. It's the building of the character now. It's saying yes to God now. It doesn't mean we're perfect. We're far from perfect. But it's an intent of a life that's heading towards God and what He wants in our life. And often, yeah, we have to come back time and time again and say we messed up. But it's not giving up. You know the famous phrase for Churchill, Winston Churchill? I can't be British and stand up here here without at least giving one British antidote, please. You see? (laughs) I I said last week that my wife says I always give British antidotes. She was in children's church. churchill stood up um, in front of oxford the oxford students and i know a lot of you know the story already but i love the story and he basically got up and just said never 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 give up and sat down and that end of speech done question answered and that's what the lord asks us to do is to never give up and i think with ezekiel This was really a part of character formation for what was going to prove to be an extremely difficult ministry. If you are going through some tough times right now, it probably means the Lord has tougher things for you to do later on. And he is building that character, that patience, that grace, that mercy. Basically, he is trying to form Christ in you and through you to minister to other people. That is his ultimate aim. And what we are asked to do is surrender to him and trust the process to him, even when we don't understand everything that's going on. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think that's going on here is the Lord does not sugarcoat the message. He is being extremely honest with the exiles. Just as with Jeremiah, who is preaching... Uh, Back in Judah, Jeremiah is being very, very honest with the message as well. As I was saying, the religious leaders of the day and the secular leaders of the day had got this completely wrong. I don't know why. It's a warning for all of us. I know that. But they had got it completely wrong. They thought there's no way God is going to allow the temple to be destroyed. Their pride was in the temple, not in God. And that was the problem. It was in the institution and not in the Lord. And so, I believe this is why the Lord had have, have, um, Ezekiel do this for 430 days. Because at the end of the day, the drama is more powerful than words. Words are good, deeds are better. And I think that's what was happening here. And finally, the third reason, I think, why he asked him to do this for 430 days, it speaks to the patience and the character and the love of God. He does not want anybody to perish. He did not want anybody to perish then, in that situation, and he doesn't want anybody to perish today. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather... That he should turn from his way and live. This next scripture is taken from Jeremiah. And it was actually written um, just before the siege of Jerusalem. And basically, um, it it records uh, when Jeremiah went to King Zedekiah. King Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. Before the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed, so just just listen to these words. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, "Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life will be spared, and this city shall not be burnt with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon," Then this city shall be given into the hands of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. This was a very difficult message to give. The only option at this point, because of Judah's lack of surrender to the Lord, was that they had to surrender to Babylon. The Lord provided a way out for them. Even at this very late stage, there was a way out for them. It was a difficult way out. And just think of Jeremiah going to the king and all the officials and saying, this is the message I have for you. Surrender. The reality is he was branded a coward. If you read the life of Jeremiah, you know, if you think Ezekiel's life was difficult as a prophet, read the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah... He went from one rejection to another. He was finally forced and taken to Egypt and died in Egypt. He didn't even want to go to Egypt. Um, I, I wonder sometimes how we measure the success of a ministry. Because I believe Ezekiel and Jeremiah had marvelous ministries. But in the world's eyes, it was not a successful ministry. They weren't listened to. They were not listened to. key point here is the lord gives ample opportunity for us to turn to him time and time again he will come to us and give us opportunity we are basically without excuse i'm amazed at how many opportunities he gives and the challenge for each of us is to respond to that grace respond to that mercy and surrender our lives to the lord because there is nothing better. There is, there's, there's no other answer. There is no other answer under heaven. Is it possible to come to church, sing the songs, go to all the right schools, say all the right words, even publicly taught, and yet be unsaved? And to refuse the Lordship of Christ in your life? But why should that continue? Today that can change the wonderful thing about the message we have is that wherever you're at today you can turn to the Lord and sometimes many doors have closed in people's lives and and a bit like with Judah, the only option for them was to, to surrender to Babylon that's a difficult difficult path but the Lord asks all of us to surrender our lives to him so that's why I think Uh, for 430 days Ezekiel put on a drama, put on a play and it was marvellous and it basically formed his character so what I'd like to do now is come on to the second event in Ezekiel's life where I believe um, it's a great demonstration of where his deeds met faith and this is a a tragic incident. It's the death of his wife, and his wife. I mean, he probably they were. He was probably around 35 years old when this happened. This was a young couple. There's no reason to think that his wife was older than him. Evidence would suggest the contrary. So this was a young wife who died. Let, let's read um, what it says. The word of the Lord came to me son of man behold i am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke yet you shall not mourn or weep nor shall your tears run down sigh but not aloud make no mourning for the dead bind on your turban put and put your shoes on your feet do not cover your lips nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. I think it's very important for us to differentiate between what the Lord causes and what the Lord allows In my view, this is something that the Lord allowed to happen. Unlike if we think about Babylon um, coming against Judah, that was something the Lord caused to happen. I believe this is something that the Lord allowed to happen. It's clear that um, his wife was the delight of his eyes. That's what it says there. The delight of your eyes will be taken away. It also says, suddenly at a stroke. It doesn't sound like this was a long illness. Suddenly at a stroke. And then, what maybe is difficult to understand, the Lord commanded Ezekiel to show no outward sign of mourning. He was told not to show an outward sign of mourning. There's um, there's a lot of commentary on this. Um, A lot of explanations are given. And um, I I respect the commentators out there. But on this one, with all due respect to them, I, I don't think the Lord arbitrarily allows Ezekiel's wife to die so he can prove a point. I don't think that's what's going on here. Suffering is a reality in the life of men and women of faith. God does not promise to remove suffering from the human experience. But he does promise to sustain the faithful in the midst of suffering. Ezekiel's response is magnificent. It says, I did as the Lord commanded its magnificence in its understatement. I did as the Lord commanded. I believe that Ezekiel could only respond like this because of what he was doing to this point. Those 430 days of obedience and character formation of putting on that drama and other events that happened in his life before this, I believe that was part of what was happening here. He could only respond like this because of what what had happened before. You know, when chaos comes into your life, when things begin to go wrong, it truly shows the foundation of your life. It truly does. And you can be sure that, number one, the Lord will not allow you to go through anything that you cannot cope with. And he will always provide a way for you as well during that time. But it will expose the foundations of your life. That's why it's so important, Um, I said it last week, that we all need to grow in grace. And the way we grow in grace is by using the means of grace. And we can talk about that more during Second Look if you want. But there are means of grace that will help to build you up. Certainly the church service is one of them. Bible study, prayer, fellowship, witnessing, all of these are really means of grace to help build you up. There's a um, contemporary Christian song that I think puts this so well. They say, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now, I'm losing bad. I stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken, it will be all right. But right now, right now, I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able. I know you can. save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. Ezekiel, after this event, is left alone, humanly speaking, to carry on a very difficult ministry. But he is not alone. My hope is in you alone. I'd like to finish with a final story And it's a story that I was encouraged to share with all of you by the people involved. After fact, uh, one of the young people involved said, you give talks in church, don't you? I said, sometimes. He said, you must tell this story. And it happened recently, so I will. My sister and her family had came to visit us from the UK. They live in Cardiff, Wales in the UK. And they came to visit us a few weeks ago. Um, prior to them coming, I had a sense, and I was talking to, to Norma about this, that this would be the last time we would all be together in the way that we would be together. Because what happened was uh, my sister and her husband were coming over, and um, her one her son was coming over, and at the time with his fiancee, they were gonna get married in Vegas and they were gonna come and visit us. And she was, she was pregnant. So you have a situation where they're gonna be a young family. When are they gonna be traveling out again to California? In addition to that, because her son was getting married, her other son who serves in the Royal Air Force, um, he was also gonna come out obviously to be at the wedding. And so we were gonna have my sister, uh, her husband, uh, her two sons and, uh, of course, um, one of the sons' wife with us as well. So this was going to be a very, very special time for our family. Um, I would say I have a okay relationship with my sister, to be honest with you. We, we talk on the phone probably twice a year. Um, during times of crisis, that's when we get together. <laughs> you know, the, the, that big pond between the U.S. and the U.K., it can definitely affect the amount of communication that goes on. So I, I was determined to take time off from work. Uh, even though there's stuff going on at work at the moment that's unbelievable, that's a whole different story, I decided that, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely take time off and spend some time with my sister and their family, not really knowing when this is going to happen again. Um, they arrived, And I must admit, I walked on eggshells a little bit when it came to um, our faith. My sister really has no religious affiliations, nor nor does her husband. Though the one time I began to have a conversation with Sean, that's the husband's name, he basically said to me, I want nothing to do with religion. And I said, same here. Because religion is all about do's and don'ts and not relationships. And I believe God is about relationships. I tried to say that. I'm not too sure how well that went over anyway. <laughs> uh, my sister basically became a Catholic to get married. And they, they, do not, they don't attend. So we, were work, walk, we, we pretty much walked on eggshells. Um, even normally when we prayed before the food, Norma and I would just look at each other and do a loud Amen. Maybe that was the wrong thing to do, but we were just trying to be very sensitive to to what was going on. It came to the last night that they were here. And the conversation came, where should we go and have our final meal together? And I really wanted this to be special. And the overwhelming favorite was cheesecake. What is your favorite cheesecake? (laughs) So Cheesecake Factory it was going to be. It was. I think it was a Sunday night. And we, we went to the Cheesecake Factory. And you cannot book. There was a party of eight of us. You, you cannot book in the Cheesecake Factory. I found that out. So we got there, and there was going to be an hour and a half wait. So I, I was not very happy about that, because I wanted this to be perfect. I felt, I don't know when we're all going to be together again like this. I wanted it to be perfect. It was an hour and a half wait. So, okay, it's at the mall. Mo- the good thing is the Cheesecake Factory is at the mall. Lots of ladies in our group and they went off to the mall. <laughs> and like us men, right? Straight in, black, brown, done. Okay. <laughs> and white. <laughs> so, so an hour and a half went and everyone reconvened back in the cheesecake factory there. And then the minutes ticked on, ticked on, ticked on. And we were not being called. Now, on top of this, my son and their sons had been to the local river. So you know what young adults are like when they're hungry. They were absolutely starving, and this was going on and on and on. So I was really not happy about the situation. I can get like that sometimes.
1: I know it's (laughs) difficult
0: to believe, right? (laughs) And at one point, Rhys almost had to restrain me because I was marching up to the desk. Eventually, the manager came out and apologized and said to us, I'm so sorry. Where we were going to put you, they just ordered another round of drinks. We're having to look at putting you somewhere else. It's going to probably be another 30 minutes, but I'll give you a couple of free appetizers. A couple of appetizers. So I said, OK, all right. 20 minutes later, we, we get seated, and everybody around the table orders appetizers. And the, the, the waitress, a very nice young lady who came and served us, you know, basically said, oh yeah, the appetizers are on us. So everybody ordered appetizers. Of course, the whole meal, I'm thinking, okay, the manager said two appetizers, and now everybody's orders appetizers. So I'm getting ready for the fight at the end to say, no, no, we're not paying for any appetizers, because that's what should happen, because you kept us waiting so long. We, we had a good meal, but it was far from how I really wanted the last meal to go. So it came to the time when the bill came. And this is what came back. Jesus loves you and wants to treat you for dinner tonight. May God bless you. Essentially what was happening is that the the table next to us, and I can only think this lady who was obviously a dear Christian lady, had sort of witnessed what was going out when we were waiting and the frustration. And had decided they were going to pay for our meal completely. You know, I could have... If somebody had written a note that said, Jesus loves you and gave that to my sister, she probably would have said, Oh, that's nice. Thank you. But the fact it was backed up with the deed made this unbelievable. My sister who has no Christian or religious affiliations was so overwhelmed with this, she went back and she posted it on Facebook. So all of her friends who also a lot of them do not they do not go to church. So all of them could see this saying what an amazing thing had happened. I I said that I, I felt that that could be it could be the last time we would be together as that group. I can't go into details, but what I can say events after they, they have returned have proved in ways that we never imagined. Unfortunately that looks like it's going to come true. and I just ask for your prayers for an unknown situation there I'm not going to divulge anymore. God asks us. Not just to do our duty, but go beyond our duty. To walk the extra mile. To pray for our enemies. To forgive those that we have every right to hold a grudge against. To give justice when no justice has been given to us. That's what the Lord asks us to do. He asks us to do it because that is what he has done for us. I'd like to thank you for um, the last two Sabbaths. I-, I hope it has been helpful. I-, I have to tell you, preparing to talk up here, I talked about it last week, you end up having to preach to yourself before you can preach to others. And I must admit, the Lord has been very gracious. And there are some times when I've been studying things and i just had to get up and jump around because of some of the... Uh, the thoughts that have come into my mind. So I encourage you, get into that Bible. It is so worth getting into. Um, I hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, Next week, Pastor Walt and Pastor Tim will be back. and Let us pray. Heavenly Father, to you be the honor and glory.